Next up on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles An audio adventure The story thus far. McAllen and Tully have been taken to the Indian city of Mumbai, where McAllen is told she will receive answers as to why the mysterious key has altered her DNA, granting her the powers and lifespan of an immortal. She is taken to the Dravi district of Mumbai, the largest slum in Asia, where she discovers Leviathan has been maintaining a secret base of complex operations deep underneath the slum. There, she is amazed to find Sedgwick, her grandmother's butler serving as the leader of this hidden base. It is revealed that the Kumbar Potters of Dravi have maintained a secret alliance with members of Leviathan for hundreds of years and carry out many of the clandestine operations for the group. Sedgwick explains to McAllen that in order to understand who she now is, she must also understand where she came from. He proceeds to tell her the story of Evangeline Liefrich, a female shaman that lived in Norway in the 11th century. Evangeline was a powerful healer and the leader of her village. Upon discovering a British scouting expedition, she falls in love with Commandant Piter Scarleton, a naval war hero. Evangeline leaves her native village to live with Piter in the coastal town of Somnatok. Piter maintains a strong loyalty as a soldier to the British Navy, but has increasing reservations over the growing role of the Catholic Church in world affairs. He devises a plan called the Eden Initiative, a wealthy separatist movement based on scientific research and religious freedom. Despite his ailing health, Piter is recruited to command a lengthy naval mission to recover Catholic artifacts from pirates in the Mediterranean. Shortly before Piter is due to leave, Evangeline leaves to go deep into the Nordic interior to recover special herbs used to create a potion that sends its drinker into a trance-like state. Piter intends to use the potion to conduct a mutiny and escape with the pirated treasure and an advanced British warship to facilitate the Eden Initiative. While in the forest, an explosion, the likes of which she has never seen, erupted in the sky and a strange object shot towards the earth. Against her better judgment, Evangeline raced towards the object and discovered two alien beings, injured and begging for help. And now, Chapter 9, The Gift. Help us. Please help us. Who? What are you? We are explorers. We are not from your world. from your place. Not both. Earth. Where are you from? What happened to you? Confused. Don't understand. Why are you here? You crashed somehow. Something must have gone wrong to bring you here. Yes. This, this was not meant to happen. What are your names? Do you have names? Names? What do you call each other? Names. No names. Just identity. We just exist. Goddess, what was that? Anger. Wait, I'll be right back. I won't leave you. I, I have to see. Evangeline climbed back to the top of the crater. The plummeted spacecraft had devastated a wide swath of forest. Burning embers were littered everywhere. To her left, Evangeline heard a sound that made her heart sink. She ran over to the sound of something wounded, crying out. 
A massive tree had collapsed a few feet from an outgrowth of rock. Spirits! A black bear cub lay crushed by one of the branches of the fallen tree. Its brother laid by its side, mewing and crying for its lost sibling. It took almost no notice of Evangeline, but it didn't matter. Evangeline knew instantly that she and the two aliens were in grave danger. The mother is nearby. We must find protection. Bears will kill without mercy for their cubs. And now one of her younglings has been killed. This disturbance and the fires must already have the animals confused and scared. We must get to safety. This bear will destroy us if it finds us. But Evangeline's spirits dropped even further when she looked down and saw that her feet displayed some of the orange blood of the aliens. That smell! The vinegar smell from their blood. A blind person could find us with that stench. We must move quickly and protect ourselves. Evangeline sprinted back to the crater where she saw the aliens. They had moved out of the ruins of their spacecraft and were lying on the ground holding each other. Their orange blood seemed everywhere. We are in great danger. We must move out of here quickly and go someplace protected. There are dangerous animals nearby that will kill us if we are found. Kill? How do we die? Stop it! You're hurting my mind. Your thoughts are confusing me. We must get to safety. The fjord cliffs are not far from here. We might be able to find safety within one of them. I can carry one of you, but not both. Which one of you should I take first? And for the first time, Evangeline heard only one of the voices speaking to her in her mind. Take her, make her safe. She needs help. Evangeline looked over and saw one of the aliens turning his head toward the other alien, who was now not moving. His hands were wrapped around her, but he gently released her and turned to stare at Evangeline with his unblinking yellow eyes. Take her. I will, but I'll be back as fast as I can. If you hear sounds that aren't human, that do not sound like me, you must go back into your craft to hide. Do you understand me? I understand. Protect her. Evangeline nodded and grabbed the alien that had now become unconscious. She reached down and placed the limp alien body over her shoulder and was surprised at how light it was. The fjord was at least a quarter mile off to the west, and Evangeline knew she would need several minutes, if not longer, to find a suitable cave in the cliffs. At least two minutes to get there, two minutes back, maybe ten minutes to get in and out of the cave. Can the other alien survive for fifteen minutes? How long could even a viking last against a raging bear? Evangeline sprinted as fast as she could towards the fjords. After running full speed for over two minutes, she could see a clearing ahead. Straight ahead of her, a cliff dropped almost perfectly straight down over 3,000 feet. Heights had never unnerved Evangeline, and in her childhood she remembered sitting on the edges with her mother as they took in the dramatic landscape of their homeland. But with her heart racing, Evangeline knew the dangers of the smallest missteps. Off to the side, a path was chiseled downwards into the side of the mountain. It was wide enough for two or three men to walk down, but the lack of anything to hold on to and the additional weight of an extra body on her shoulders made the sheer drop loom ever closer to each step Evangeline took. Relax your heart. Know no fear. Breathe slowly and with strength. Evangeline used her training as a shaman to calm her racing heart and give her sure footing on the rocky path. She had hoped to find one of the numerous narrow caves that littered the fjords. But her hopes were dashed when she reached the end of the trail and found only a ten-foot indentation in the side of the mountain. It'll have to do. I don't have time to find a better space for us. I... 
I don't know if you can hear me, but I have to go back to get your companion. He's in danger right now, but I promise I'll be back as quickly as I can. Stay as close to the rock as you can and lie still. Evangeline bolted back up the path and raced through the woods to the wreck of the spacecraft where she had left the other injured alien. She knew her time had almost run out. The furious mother bear was desperately searching to find her cub's killer. The sporadic fires would only make the bear more nervous, confused and dangerous. Evangeline knew it was only seconds before she would find the alien leaking its odorous orange blood. She ran as fast as she could through the woods without concern for the whipping branches cutting her face. She was almost there, almost at the spacecraft, when suddenly... The alien was terrified and had retreated into the ruins of its spherical spacecraft. The monstrous brown bear stood nearly ten feet tall on its rear legs and was roaring over the wounded alien. It took giant swipes at the wreckage of the spacecraft, trying to get access to the alien hiding inside. Bit by bit, pieces of the spacecraft were knocked away, diminishing the refuge it offered. Finally, in one swift stroke, the bear knocked away the last vestige of protection from the fuselage. The alien lay still, having accepted death as a certainty. The bear's teeth were bared as it moved in to exact revenge. It stood up once more before going in for the final kill. Here! Here, get away! I call you, get away! The bear turned to see Evangeline waving her arms wildly. She took a large rock in her hands and threw it violently at the bear's head. The rock hit its mark, striking the bear's right eye. It bore off the alien instead directly at Evangeline, growling in anger. For a split second, Evangeline marveled at how wide the bear was. She walked back slowly, wondering if she could take refuge behind some of the burning trees, that maybe the small forest fires would provide protection from the vicious bear. But now the bushfires seemed smaller, and there was more smoke around than actual fires. She had to think fast. The bear was stalking her, coming right at her, knowing she had nowhere to run. She would be the kill tonight now. As Evangeline walked backwards facing the bear, she touched the ground with her left hand, searching for something she might use as a weapon. Time was running out for her. Suddenly, her foot almost caught on something, something hard and long beneath her. She didn't dare break eye contact with the approaching bear, trying to delay its inevitable rush as long as she could. Evangeline reached down and picked up what felt like a thick branch on her left side. There is no other way. I will die gloriously without fear as a Valkyrie. My mother protect me this night. Yeah! Evangeline rushed towards the bear, holding the branch out like a spear in front of her. The bear attacked, lunging for Evangeline's throat, sinking its teeth into her shoulder. The bear began to swing Evangeline to the right, but she was still able to push forward with her feet, driving the branch into the bear's side. Suddenly, the branch was ripped out of her hands as Evangeline realized it was now stuck through the bear and between two large rocks behind her. The bear's grip on her loosened, and Evangeline dropped to the ground and looked up. The bear was effectively crucified against a series of large rocks, screaming in agony. Oh, I can't feel my arm. I must get up before the beast frees herself. I have to hurry. She got up to run away and then looked over to see the alien collapsed by the side of its spacecraft. Without thinking, she dashed towards the alien and placed its body on her good shoulder. As she stood up, the world began to spin. I must stay conscious. Focus on your heart. Focus on your breathing. I choose to live tonight. I choose to live. The world came back into focus, and Evangeline ran towards the fjords where she had placed the other alien. The urge to fall asleep and lose consciousness called out to her. 
but she pressed on knowing that three lives were at stake if she failed. When she reached the cliff, she looked down at the rocky path that led along the side of the massive fjord. Now with her head throbbing, the path looked much more narrow and precarious to Evangeline. Summoning all of her concentration, she placed one foot in front of the other and descended downwards to the small recessed pitch where the other lay. When she arrived, she saw the alien sitting upwards with her eyes open. She was sitting inwards, as far away from the edge as possible, like she was told. Oh, I think we're safe now. The bear, the bear was pinned against. I... Evangeline, you must stay conscious. Stay with us in the present. Do not fall asleep, Evangeline. I'm sorry, I'm just so tired. I should examine your wounds. I, I don't know exactly what you are, but your injuries look quite serious. Thank you. Thank you, Evangeline, for your courage and your kindness. Without you, we would have surely died. You saved us. Well, I'm not sure that we're... Ah, oh, the bear found us! It's angry. It wants death. It wants death. We have to push deeper back. There's nowhere to go, Evangeline. The great bear had carefully negotiated the narrow path. It was swiping desperately at the trio trapped within the small recession in the face of the fjord. It swiped again and the tips of its claws caught Evangeline's left arm, tearing open her flesh. Evangeline could see that the only thing stopping the bear from coming in and goring them was that the stick, still embedded in its side, was scraping against the side of the cliff. It won't take long before it pushes through the pain and reaches us. The bear continued to scream in fury against the three. There was nowhere left to run. The bear would have its revenge. It would soon be... Old spider! You can speak to animals. My horse, he's not far from here. Can you tell him to come immediately? Tell him we're in danger. I'm trying. Yes, I can sense a being very concerned about you. He's coming. He wants to help us. He must hurry. Tell him that... Ah! The bear swiped again and struck Evangeline's leg. The claws sank into her soft flesh and stuck. It was dragging her out. It was pulling. She couldn't stay within the pitch. Her hands were dragging against the rock. It was no use. It had her. Alsvedir, Evangeline's faithful horse, reared up on its hind legs and kicked frantically at the bear. The bear tried to stand up, but as it rose, its head met one of Alsvedir's powerful hooves. It stunned the massive bear, rendering it motionless for a split second. Evangeline seized the chance and ran with all of her might against the giant. The bear reeled from the push. The edge of the rock under the bear's feet crumbled, and the bear fell backwards, falling thousands of feet below to its death. Good horse. Good horse, my old friend. You are very brave, Evangeline. We owe you our lives. That's very kind of you, but before you say that... Let's take a look at your wounds. One day later. Well, I've gathered up all the medicinal roots I can. The lily root that I placed on your wounds seemed to have stopped the bleeding. We thank you. You have been very kind to us. We will not forget you when we leave. That brings me to my next question. I want to know who and what you are. Do you even have names? Not the way you think of them. We use our mental identities to distinguish ourselves. We would like you to give us names. That's rather an honor. There's an old Norse fairy tale about a brother and sister that were lost in the deep woods during winter. They were freezing to death and they prayed to Odin for salvation. And because the brother and sister were true of heart, Odin set them down a star to warm them through the night. The names of the brother and sister, if it suits you, were Elga and Karana. We are pleased with our names. 
I'm glad. But you still haven't told me where you are from and what happened to you in the sky. We are from a planet called Sorax that is located close to the center of this galaxy that we share. Our mission is that of exploration. We were... Ah. Some of your smaller wounds seem to be healing, but the larger ones don't appear to be faring as well. Is it normal for your kind to lose consciousness as much as you have been? No, we are very weak. Well, I can gather some food for you to eat while I'm gone. We don't consume sustenance the way a human would. Instead, we absorb energy. From what? A starstone. What is a starstone? How can I find one? A starstone is a very dense form of energy that has been transmuted into a solid form that is designed to be absorbed and utilized by sentient beings. It is constructed from materials found only within the deep center of the galaxy. Our people use them for virtually all of our energy needs. For nutrition, propulsion, fuel for our spacecraft, energy for our cities, everything. It sounds like the perfect form of energy, but I'm afraid we don't have anything like that here. There was a star stone contained within the core of our ship. It must have been scattered as our ship broke up when we fell out of light space. Then it could be anywhere, deep in the woods or somewhere underneath the Fenstroden River. How will we ever find it? We know how to find it. What? How? We can sense its presence, its energy field. It lies about 100 miles south of here. That's very bad news. You realize that would mean that your star stone is lying at the bottom of the North Sea. It must be underwater. There's, there's no way we can... It does not lie underwater. How do you know? Because someone is using it. What do you mean someone else is using it? How is that possible? Is there more of your kind here? There are no others like us here. A star stone is a very powerful source of energy. It creates its own energy field, one which we have the ability to sense. Regrettably, we sense it growing much weaker. But if there are not any other beings like yourselves, then how is that possible? Other beings, humans like yourself, can partially benefit from its energy by being in very close proximity to it. While they cannot wield its power the way that a Seraxian might, a star stone can still infuse the sentient beings around it with a... a luminosity. A what? We don't know exactly what the effects will be on humans, but most creatures' bodies are energized by its presence. Our star stone must have fallen somewhere where there are many humans. That can't be if it's under the ocean where... My goodness, of course. Elkanor Island. The only body of land in that part of the sea is Elkanor Island. We must go there quickly. No, 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 no. It's not possible. Why? Because travel to Elkanor Island is forbidden. There is a race of people who live there, the Skaradoth. They are our enemies. If we don't get access to the Star Stone soon, we will die. I understand that, but there is nothing I can Evangeline, do. Evangeline, if... I said there's nothing I can do. Boat travel back and forth from the island is highly regulated. There's just no way. Is there no other boat that you can take? No, no. The other villages would report any activity that... Wait. There is one ship leaving shortly that will be passing directly by Elkanor Island. Which boat? 
my fiancés. I'm going to hide you at an abandoned hunting lodge just outside the town of Sumnatok. A newer one has been built, so no one ever uses the old one anymore. Evangeline had been riding hard for hours. She left the fjords at daybreak, knowing that neither she nor the aliens were in any condition for a long day of horse travel. Time, as always, was against her. She had limited time to make it back to Somnatok to deliver the precious Dystodrum to Piter before he left. She must reach Piter in time. The extra weight of carrying the two aliens, light as they were, was not lost on Alsvadir. His pace was slowing, and Evangeline knew there was no point in pushing him further. The aliens had little time as well. Just before nightfall, she had reached the abandoned hunting lodge and placed the aliens on some old blankets she found there. She showed them where the entrance to the cellar was in case they heard anyone coming. She noted that their eyes were no longer yellow, but closer to orange. They moved very slowly, and did not move at all after Evangeline had set them down. Evangeline... You have been our saviour, and we owe you a massive debt. But we have little time left. You must find the Starstone quickly, and bring it back to us. How will I know how to find the Starstone? What does it look like? A Starstone, in its unformatted state, is a form of energy that can be manipulated to many ends. When it is solidified in form, it can take the guise of virtually any shape that its director would dictate. If it could look like anything, how will I know how to find it? It will be a round grey object, about the size of your fist. Elgar, Elkanor Island is several square miles large. How will I ever be able to find an object so small? You're asking me to do the impossible with practically no time. You must know that you will sense the Starstone's power in your body and mind to locate it you must surround yourself with oblivion. Imagine yourself surrounded by the thickest darkness through which neither light nor sound could penetrate. Stay in that dark place for a moment, and you will become aware of a light, a beacon that will seem to call out to you. That light is the Star Stone. I know you will be able to find it. You must believe Evangeline. Please hurry. Evangeline said nothing as she returned the intense stare of the aliens and quickly walked out of the lodge. But in her mind, she knew that imagining such darkness would not be difficult. She could already feel its grasp tightening around her with every minute that passed. Piter! Piter, where are you? You won't believe the news I have. Something incredible, something utterly incredible has happened. Do tell, Miss Leifric. Mr. Kriegerson, may I ask what you're doing in my house? You mean the Commandant's house. You will have to forgive me, but I seem to have left my cane here the last time I had the pleasure of visiting you and Commandant Scarleton. But I was also hoping to have a word with you as well. And exactly where is the Commandant? Somewhere in the North Sea, I should hope. What? I suppose you might not have heard, but the good Lord has graced us with a divine sign. A burst of light erupted from the sky a few nights ago, filled the heavens with His Holiness's glory. 
Colours and fire spilled across the stars in a display of the Lord's magnificence. All of the church leaders were in full agreement that this was an irrefutable confirmation of the righteousness of your fiancé's mission. It was therefore decided that his mission should go ahead quicker than originally planned. I don't understand. Commandant Scarleton began his campaign against the Bulgarian piracy epidemic over 24 hours ago. Your fiancé was scheduled to rendezvous with the Chala shortly thereafter. Soon, every nation on the Mediterranean will fear any retaliation against the Vatican and the forces of Christianity. Commandant Scarleton will be the tip of the sword that will be used to convert the pagan elements of the Middle East and Europe that refuse to acknowledge the Lord's... Mr. Kriegerson! I'm sorry, madam. You seem displeased. Does the glory of your future husband's mission not inspire you? I would have preferred to say goodbye to my fiancé. It's just that your presence would have been welcomed when the Lord gave us such an exultant sign regarding our military ambitions, especially when you yourself have had such a large role in their creation. I don't recall my opinion being solicited in any military matters. But your report on the Skaradoth was most compelling. The Council was particularly interested in the plague that afflicts them, and the substantial risk you expressed it could represent to the peaceful and God-fearing inhabitants of Somnatok. Does this mean my request for vital ingredients for a cure is being reconsidered? Sadly, no. Then I'm afraid you've lost me. How exactly will we help the Skaradoth? By exterminating them. A war party of our finest knights will descend upon the forsaken island of Elkanor in 48 hours from now and wipe clean the blemish that this Skaradoth filth represents on the immaculate world of God. What? Oh yes, you were quite detailed in your description of the potential for widespread contamination of this disease that these wretched pagans carry about with them. We can't have the catastrophe of that disease making its way to our mainland especially when the supplies needed for a cure are in such limited supply. You manipulated my report for your own crusade. You forced the Council's hand when the Commandant wasn't here to stop you. My dear, were the Skaradoth not the enemies of the Valkyrie? The Valkyrie were not butchers. We were never the aggressors. Because we believe a day will come when all men will become allies and set aside their differences and embrace what makes us all human. But besides... There are innocent children on Elkanor that have done no wrong to anyone. This disease can be cured in a more humane, a more Christian way. Christianity has many enemies across the world that will be dealt with harshly. The holy vocation of spreading the word of the Lord and converting the wayward faiths that have been allowed to propagate gives us the moral imperative to use whatever force is necessary. I find your methods repulsive. You have no appreciation for the sanctity of human life. If Commandant Scarleton were here, he would have done everything in his power to stop you, and so would I. Then I can't help but ask where exactly you were. You know, Miss Johnson saw you leaving by horseback early the morning before last. She seemed to think you were in quite a hurry. I was on a personal affair. It must have been quite important to leave your fiancé so soon before his departure for several months. Mr. Kriegerson. I only meant to say... This is none of your business, Mr. Kriegerson. No, but I hope for your sake that your fiancé, the Commandant, is successful in his mission. Tensions between Britain and Scandinavia have heightened recently, and you might not find everyone in this town sympathetic to your... Viking ancestry. 
I don't need to tell you what the punishment for witchcraft would be. How dare you, you repugnant little snake! No need for hysterics, my dear. I will take my leave now. But in the spirit of the evening's candor, let me give you this warning. I would sooner see more blood spilled than just Skaradoth before you become the apple of our garden. Many closed eyes have now been opened. With that, I bid you good night. Evangeline slammed the door inches from Kriegerson's back as he left through her doorway. She stood in her empty, silent house and felt unnerved by the solitude it brought. That disgusting, ignorant little worm! How dare he accuse me of witchcraft! I should have taken a kitchen knife and... and... Oh, my piter is gone. How could he leave so quickly after I'd left? Could he have been forced? He couldn't have believed that the aliens were a sign from God. I'm the only one that knows the truth, but if anyone knew of their existence, well, witchcraft would be the least of the accusations levied against me. I don't understand. Python needed the Dystodrum to fulfill his mission. How will he create the Eden Initiative without it? Does he have another plan? Why wouldn't he have told me? Evangeline's heart sank as she felt more distant from her lover than the miles that stood between them. She felt alone in this house and alone in this foreign town. Her people had abandoned her when she chose to stay with Piter. Could he have abandoned her too? None of it made sense. But sense or not, time once again was squeezing her. Now, not only was the alien's time running out, but so was the Skaradoth's. She had no allegiance towards them, and many had killed her tribesmen in battles past. But now their numbers were thinned, and nowhere in her teachings did she ever feel a genocide was warranted. She had to act quickly. Lives were at stake. She waited until two in the morning when she was sure that even the busiest of bodies were fast asleep in Somnatok. Evangeline crept out of the back entrance of her house that led out to the path to the shoreline. The journey to Elkanor Island filled her with more dread than the obvious danger of being seen by anyone, British or Skaradoff. It was also that her skills on the water paled to those in the woods. She could swim well enough, but the operation of boats and sails had never been taught to her. The frigid night chilled the ocean waters to skin-numbing temperatures. She didn't allow her mind the luxury of fixating on all the possible scenarios of her death at sea. Rather, she still had a boat to find to make the ten-mile journey to Elknor Island. Somnatok was by no means a large community, but its population was extensive enough to sustain the usual cast of characters one expected to find in any sizable settlement. The town drunk, in this case, happened to be one of the local fishermen. She took his boat and dragged it along the shoreline for almost half a mile so as to not set off in view of Somnatok. The moon was half full and she cursed the light that it shone upon her. Evangeline rowed hard and felt her luck take a long-awaited turn for the better as she noticed the tide taking her out to sea. With the tide going on, I might make better time than I thought. I must reach Elkanor Island before the sun rises. It will be far too risky during daylight hours. I would sooner see more blood spilled than just Skaradoth before you become the apple of our garden. What did that imbecile Kriegerson mean by being the apple in the garden? Did he mean the Garden of Eden? Could he possibly know about the Eden Initiative? Is Piter in danger? Could we all be doomed? The boat made its way closer to Elkanor Island. 
Every so often a cold splash of sea spray would jolt Evangeline as to the seriousness of her mission and the risks she was undertaking. The seas were still calm, but she knew full well that the weather near Somnatok could change in an instant. After two hours of rowing, Evangeline felt her boat hit sand on the northern shore of Alcanor Island. Utterly exhausted, she wearily climbed onto the shore and attempted to drag the boat off the beach to avoid detection. But her wounds from the bear attack and lack of sleep did not allow her the strength for such stealth. I must move quickly. Speed will be my only defence given my condition. The Scaradoth had settled mainly on the western coast of the island. Evangeline thought that by moving down the eastern coastline, she would put as much distance as possible between them and her. When I visited the island last, I came as a healer. But some of the older Scaradoth, rightly so, still view me as a Valkyrie witch or even worse, a British sympathiser. I don't know who I'll find creeping around these island woods at this time of night, but I don't care to find out. The thought that Evangeline refused to acknowledge was that she also feared catching the plague that afflicted the Scaradoth. She might be able to heal herself, but the intolerant inhabitants of Somnatok would view her as being struck down by God and would sooner see her dead than cured. She made her way about two miles down the beach and saw no sign of anything unusual. How the hell am I supposed to find something the size of my fist on a wild island full of hostiles at night with no torch in short notice? This is utter madness. Evangeline collapsed to her knees and started to sob quietly. Her lover was gone. All had turned against her. She was tired and injured. Her life was in danger. She could not save the lives of those she cared about. Hopelessness was the only companion she knew and she could not bring herself to rise to her feet. And then, just for an instant, she felt hope. It was like trying to remember the details of a dream that slips the fingers of your mind, and then it flashed again. Hope. But it wasn't folly, rather something real. Yes, there was hope somewhere on the island, somewhere inside, somewhere. The Starstone. That must be it. Elgar and Karana said I can only find it in the midst of darkness. I must quiet my mind and surround myself in it. I must relax. Evangeline's mind quieted, and her body stopped shaking from cold and despair. She imagined a cloak of darkness shrouding her. Her breathing slowed, and she could no longer hear the ocean crashing on the shoreline. With eyes closed, she saw nothing, felt nothing, and heard nothing. She was floating in a space of utter blackness. And then, light shone towards her, pulling at her. She had to concentrate to stay in the darkness, but as she did, the light beckoned her. The more she imagined the darkness, the brighter the light shone. It was the Starstone. She knew it. She could feel its power, its light. She could tell that it was not terribly far off, maybe a mile and a half directly west. It resonated like a tuning fork. A certain pitch that she could access now that she knew its frequency. Evangeline was amazed. How could such a thing exist? But her elation was short-lived. A mile and a half west will bring me dangerously close to the Skyrdoth village. I must move as quietly as I can. I don't have the time for any protracted interactions. Evangeline quickly leapt to her feet and began rushing into the woods, heading due west across the middle of the island. She was breathing hard again, but she could feel the starstone pulling at her, drawing her closer. 
Branches whipped by her and her footing seemed surer than she expected. None of the roots beneath her tripped her feet. She ducked and jumped deftly, making quick time to her destination. After 15 minutes of running, she felt something pulse strongly in her head. She was close now, very close to the Starstone. I can feel it. It's so close. It must be somewhere on the ground, somewhere right beside me. It's calling to me. It's... Evangeline bent down and saw a grey sphere with strange markings on it. It was almost entirely embedded with the thick root of an evergreen tree. But there it was. A starstone. She had found it. Her heart kept skipping beats with excitement as she tried to pull the starstone out of its prison. It was difficult as she could not get a solid grip on it. But as she clenched her fingers together tightly, she gained just enough purchase to pull it out. The evergreen root released the starstone and sent Evangeline reeling into a mess of elderbrush. She almost laughed as she held it in her hand. It's quite smaller than my fist, actually. Looks to be closer to a small crab apple. It feels heavier than lead. I wonder what these markings could mean. Fascinating. Just fascinating. Evangeline stopped and fell silent. She placed the starstone deep into one of the pocket folds in her dress and clutched it tightly. Something in the woods was moving, watching her. She stayed low and tried to slowly move backwards. The damned elderbrush rustled with each attempt at movement, so she stood still and waited. listening to the Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. For more episodes and information, log on to www.leviathanchronicles.com. Hello everyone, this is Christoph Laputka, author and creator of the Leviathan Chronicles. I want to start by thanking everybody so much for taking the time to check out Leviathan, for telling friends, you guys are awesome fans, you guys rock. So this is a section called The Soapbox, and and it is exactly that. It's a chance for me to stand on a soapbox and talk to you, the listeners, directly and explain a little bit about the scope of Leviathan and what to expect and, and where it's going. Leviathan Chronicles is intended to be 50 episodes in length, and we're going to split that up into two seasons of 25 episodes apiece. So we're at episode 9 of season 1 right now, and once we get to episode 25, we're going to take a little break while we catch up on some of the production, some of the script writing, and then finish season 2. Um, and you're going to see one story arc in season 1, and then season 2 is going to kind of bring the saga to a conclusion. As you guys know, we are trying to release our episodes every 10 days. Sometimes it gets a little longer than that, but we're doing our best to try and keep a really regular schedule. 
A lot of people that are listening to the Leviathan Chronicles right now are familiar with podcasting. Maybe you found us on iTunes or maybe you found us on Podcast Alley. But I know there's some people that are still new to podcasting and are discovering this really terrific universe of content that's out there. And one of the things that I want to do with this section, with the Soapbox, is to help promote other podcasts and bring attention to some of the podcasts and and other art projects that I think are worthy and that I think are cool. Uh, One of the fathers of this whole patio book, audio drama, um, book as podcast genre is a guy named Scott Sigler, and I think his stuff is awesome. He's a science fiction horror author that really jump-started this, this whole movement to authors reading their own work uh, to help promote their books and really create an interactive forum of putting his work out there, getting feedback from listeners um, to to make his book better. And we've gone a little bit of a different direction. We are going kind of more the classical audio drama where we, we wanted to add sound effects and actors and, and, and create a uh, uh, kind of a, a big movie-like soundscape to it. But his work is really awesome, and, and it really should be checked out. And what I'm going to do right now is play the trailer to his latest work, Nocturnal. Nocturnal is a podcast that Scott's been putting out for um, for several months now. It's slowly ending its conclusion. Uh, it's about 30, 35 episodes, but you can find him on iTunes or go to scottsigler.net and download his episodes there or download them from iTunes, and you can catch up to where the episodes are right now. Nocturnal is a monster story set up in San Francisco, and Scott's done a lot of cool things on his website where he's actually created a Google Maps uh, section where you can see where the different scenes are taking place. It's set in modern day, and it's it's got a very kind of edgy feel to it. And if you haven't heard his stuff before, give it a couple episodes, and I think you're going to find you'll be hooked in one of Scott's junkies uh, pretty quickly. So without any further ado, this is the trailer to Scott Sigler's Nocturnal. Beneath the streets of San Francisco, they are waiting, hoping you stay out a bit too late to drink a bit too much and stumble home alone. If fortune smiles upon you, they kill you where you stand. But if you're unlucky, they drag you down into the tunnels to meet their queen. Nocturnal is a free podcast-only audiobook from Scott Sigler, the creator of the sci-fi thriller Earthcore and the number one best-selling horror novel, Ancestor. Go ahead, get your scare on at scottsigler.net and look for Scott's major hardcover release, Infected, available from Crown Publishing, April 1st, 2008. All right, that was Scott Sigler's Nocturnal. Very cool podcast, highly recommend it. Now, some of the listeners have also commented that they really like our intro. They like the intro music that's going in, and that's played by a band called ATW. ATW stands for Around the World, and you can find more information about them on our website. Go to Leviathan Chronicles, look under the surface section, look under the crew, and you should see some information on ATW, including their web address to get to their MySpace page, where you can get their music, where they're playing. So what I'd like to do right now is play one of my favorite songs by ATW called Walk Away. There's an awesome video to this on their website on MySpace, so definitely check it out. But now we're going to play Walk Away. I don't 
That was Walk Away by ATW, the band that plays our intro and outro theme songs, as well as the intro and outro to this, The Soapbox. We can call it Christoph's theme if you like it. So before we end The Soapbox this week, I just want to encourage everybody to listen to the end of episodes going forward because we're going to try and do this a little bit more often because I think there's a lot of information I want to try and give out in terms of what's happening in podcasting, what's happening with Leviathan, and some behind-the-scene developments as well. In the future Soapbox sections, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the world of podcasting, what's going on behind the scenes in Leviathan, any developments that I feel you guys as fans should know about. But in the meantime, I just want to thank you guys all again so much for tuning in, for your feedback, for your enthusiasm. Thank you for making Leviathan Chronicles happen. And again, if you guys ever want to contact me, just go to the Leviathan Chronicles website, look at the contact section at the end. It's got all my info. Definitely reach out if you guys want to chat, you guys want to email. I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your feedback. Definitely reach out. That's all I got for this week. Thanks again so much for listening to Leviathan. I will see you guys in 10. Buongiorno, I am Flaudio, and I am very interested in what makes audio drama work. I want to share with you my recipe for a perfect evening, an evening for two lovers, lovers of audio drama. When I plan an audio drama, I want to make sure that everything is perfect for us. The soundscape is the most important thing to set the mood for the night. When I lay in a special ambiance or sound effect, it is very important because it can express what I feel so perfectly. A sound effect can speak for the story when words just cannot capture the love I feel. Love I feel for you. When it is dark, I turn on the sound effects, I turn up the soundscape, and the voices can then dance in a perfect state of bliss, where there is no world except the one we make with our love. No time except what is needed for our story to play out. A story that we will make come true. This audio drama public service announcement was brought to you by the Amigos.